I have to share with you that this week we celebrate Independence Day. And for me, as many of us, I'm, I'm proud of the heritage that we have, the independence that we have. But I pray that we realize that we cannot live our lives independent of the king. And in America, sometimes we get so focused on the excitement of independence and we try to do it all on our own. And I really believe that God is speaking this morning saying, when you try to do it independent of me, you will fail every single time. You know how I know that? The word of God says so. And so my question to you this Independence Day, yes, we celebrate, and I can't, I'll tell you I'm the first to walk up to every person in the military, every police officer, every first responder, and thank them. Every time I ran a marathon and I would see one, I didn't care about my time because I was not quick anyways, I would run over and shake their hand and say, thank you so much for serving Because of your sacrifice, I have freedom. But may we not forget that because of the sacrifice on the cross, that we have freedom today. And so though we celebrate the independence of America, we celebrate the fact that we are not independent of our King. And that He is with us every day. If you have your scriptures, we're going to be in John 11. And I want to ask you a question this morning. Have you ever had a no-show in your life? Have you ever showed up? Maybe it was your first date with somebody. Everybody laughs because you're like, well, that's not good. You get dressed up. You're ready to go. You show up. And when you get there, you're waiting, you're waiting, and they don't show up. Think about that feeling. Maybe you've never had that, but think about that feeling. It's, it's not good even like the thought of it. Maybe it's when you go to, uh, the, the, to have surgery and you go through pre-op, something happens to the doctor and he doesn't show up. That's probably not a good thing. And then you have to reschedule, you have to go back through it. You know, though we don't usually often see the doctor not show up, there are probably times that patients don't show up. And so the doctors probably experience all the time. Or maybe it's a meeting. You plan a meeting with somebody, and you get there, and you wait, and you wait, and you wait. And I don't know about y'all, but you get frustrated, and they don't show up. One of the biggest uh, things, pet peeves of mine is, is say what you mean and mean what you say. Say what you mean, mean what you say. If you say you're going to be there, be there. If you say you're going to be there at that time, be there on that time. Right? Everybody agree with that? Some people are like, amen. Those who are late were like, mm, I'm not saying nothing. But you get there and you're waiting on somebody and they don't show up. Or, or worst case scenario, it's your wedding day. And they don't show up. That would be really bad. There is like movies about that kind of stuff, right? I want you to take just a moment and think about putting yourself in that position. All of a sudden, here we are, and I'm expecting 
in my understanding that somebody's going to be at a certain place at a certain time, that they're going to be there, and then they don't show up. Now, I want you to put yourself in the place of Martha and Mary in John 11. In John chapter 11, verse 1, it says this. Now, a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was the, the Mary who anointed the Lord with anoint, anointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sister sent word to him saying, Lord, behold, whom you love, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, the sickness is not to end the, in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. Now, I'm going to stop there for a second. Martha and Mary had an expectation. That expectation was, hey, Lazarus is sick. And so Jesus, if he'll just come, if he'll be there on time, if he'll show up, then Lazarus will be healed. They had an expectation based on their own understanding of the circumstances. Lazarus was sick. The sickness was unto death. If Jesus shows up, he can heal Lazarus. Everything will be okay. This was their understanding. This was their mindset. They had built this by just uh, their everyday life. They had seen that Jesus has healed people in their life. And so they began to build with their own understanding and expectation based on their circumstances. Now how we see this is if you'll skip over to verse 21, we see this. In verse 21, Martha then said to Jesus... Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, I don't know about y'all, but Jesus is all-powerful. He could have said from where he was at, he could have said, Lazarus, be healed. And let me just tell you, Jesus has all authority, which means that sickness would have been gone just like that. But she has in her mind that he had to come, be there, so that he would live. Let me ask you this question today. How often do we put Jesus, put God in our own box of our circumstances? Well, Lord, here's my circumstances. And I need you to do this. Lord, uh, I'm, I'm going through this situation in my life. So I need you to, to do this, this, and that in my life. And what happens is, is that we begin to start telling God what he needs to do in our life. Instead of trusting that God is in control. Mary and Martha, in the emotion of the circumstance, put their faith in their own understanding. Their understanding was that Jesus could heal. It was just that he was confined to time. But see, Colossians chapter 1 says this in verse 15 through 17. Let's see if they get that. I can. Colossians chapter 15 says, He is the image... Of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. 
Let me just say that again. He is before all things. Let me just tell you this. Jesus is not confined to time. Time has nothing on Jesus. Nothing. It even says right there in verse 17 that he is before all things. That means time. All means, as Brother Fred has shared with you, all, including time. Jude, which is only one chapter long in verse 25 of Jude, it says this. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. See, what happened is is that Mary and Martha began to put Jesus within the confines of their understanding. And they began to say, well, if you would have just done this, this would have satisfied my circumstances. This would have satisfied my situation. If you would have just done this in my life. And let's just stop here, right here, and just ask, how often, number one, do we expect, have expectations on God based on our circumstances and our understanding? How often in our lives do we put God in a box and say, God, here it is, now do it? When did God become our bondservant? Where we say, okay, God, this is what I need, now do it. See, so often we can get ourselves mixed up real quickly. And what God has said is that we're supposed to fall in humility before the throne of the living God, submitting our lives to Him. Whatever comes our way, whatever circumstance, whatever situation. So first thing I want you to see is that they had expectations based on their circumstances and their understanding. But let me just give you a little nugget here of truth that just jumped off the page. Has it ever jumped off the page for you before? I mean, I was studying this, I was preparing, I was studying, and then I went back and read one more time, and I was like, how did I miss that? Are you kidding me? Like, this is incredible. In verse 5, it says this. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So let me just, let me just show you. Like, the next statement is based on the fact that Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. And then look at verse 5, or 6. So when he heard of, that he was sick, he stayed two days longer. Think about that for a second. Based on his love for them, he didn't do what they wanted. Based on his love for them, he didn't just say, well, hey, I'm coming to you. Why? Because God knew what was best for Martha and Mary. Because he loved them, he allowed them to walk through so that they would ultimately, as many of you know the story, ultimately would see a resurrection instead of just seeing a healing. And I think that for some of us, we need to hold on to that nugget and say, listen, I'm going through some trials, I'm going through some tribulations, but God loves me enough that he's right there with me. The scripture says that God is teaching us through the trials and tribulations that we are growing more like him. Because we walk through these circumstances, what happens? The flesh continues to get peeled off of us and we look more and more like Jesus. I've shared this illustration, I'll just say it again, but for me what I see is is when you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, you see the light, you see Christ and you start to walk to him. But the closer you get to him, the more the light reflects off of you, which also means that the more you see of the flesh to remove in you. So the closer we get to the king, the more trials and, and, and things that we go through, ultimately God is pointing us to him so that we would trust him and him alone and no one else. 
as I just shared, we celebrate Independence Day. But we celebrate the fact that we are not independent of Jesus Christ. That He's our King and our Lord. Jesus knew what was best for them. And so, in love for them, He waited two days. How many of y'all are saying, come on, like, if, if I was writing this story, God, I would have been like, okay, he's sick, I'm going straight there. And for a pastor, sometimes, you know, it's very easy for every little itty-bitty situation, I'm like, I gotta go, I gotta go. And the Lord has showed me that, that listen, I've got to, to, to seek him and make sure that my day is scheduled according to him and him alone. And we've got to trust him. He has Jeremiah 29, 11, as many of you know, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. God says, hey, I know, I, I, I can see what, what's happening, I can see what's going forth, and listen, I love you enough, because when you get through this, guess what's going to happen? You're going to look more like Jesus, you're going to see a resurrection instead of just a healing. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and what? He will make your path straight. He'll lead us. He'll guide us. Proverbs 16, 9. The mind of the man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And so we've got to trust Him that He knows what's best in our life. So, number one, we need to quit allowing our expectations to be based on our circumstances and our understanding, what we need to do is just know this. We need to know this. You know what this tells us? In our circumstances, God's with us. In our circumstances, God works all things together for good. So what we need to do is instead of saying, okay, God, this is what you need to do, we just need to say, God, I surrender. I surrender. God, I surrender to you. Some of the hardest situations in my life I see now as some of the pivotal moments where God showed me His love for me. And it has taken me further than I would ever imagine spiritually because I saw God's providential hand through it all. And one of those, as many of you know, was my diagnosis of myasthenia gravis 10 years ago. And I watched God's provisional hand. When I was diagnosed with myasthenia gravis, I said to the Lord, I said, listen, I don't understand why you would do this. Where are you, God? I don't get it. And the Lord spoke to me and said, David, I want you to know that your worth in me has not changed. Though the culture says that, that all the things that you wanted to do in your future and your plans may be gone according to the cultural view. And though the culture says, well listen, you're, you're, you're not going to be worth that much anymore because you have this major diagnosis. But what God was saying is, hey David, I want you to know that your value in me does not change by any circumstance of your life. The second thing I want you to see is that when Jesus shows up, their focus was on what had happened instead of Jesus. They were so focused on the fact that Lazarus had died. Go over to um, verse 17. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been, ra- uh, been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. 
Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary stayed at the house. And Martha then said, Lord, like this is how she greets him. Lord, if you would have just been here, my brother would not have died. Here she is, focused on what had taken place. But here's Jesus. Like, he is the author, the perfecter of our faith. He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords. They had seen miracles in their time. And so the first thing she says is, if you would have just been here, he would not have died. In verse 22, then Jesus speaks to her and says, even now I know that whatever you ask of God, or she speaks, she says, even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha, having great understanding of the scripture, or at least theology, she said, uh, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. What's that all about? Many of you all know this, but we see in the scripture it says to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. It says the dead in Christ will rise. We know that this is not the end. You know why I don't fear death? It's because the word of God shows me that this is not the end. The word of God shows me that I'm only here for a short time. My life is but a vapor. And there's going to come a day where I will, will rise. I will be with, with Christ in heaven forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And I can keep going because it doesn't stop. Jesus said to her, verse 25, And church, I'm going to prepare you. Is that okay? Can I prepare you? If you don't get excited about this verse, then I'm going to have to go back. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me will live even if he dies. Church, we need to say hallelujah. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Verse 26, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. So we see here, and we've got to make sure that we don't allow ourselves to miss that Jesus is with us because of the past and what has taken place. In Martha's understanding, she says, well, if you'd have just been here, everything would have been okay. Mary's interpretation or her first acknowledgement is in verse 32. It says, therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus is like, man, like y'all are repeating the same thing. Jesus is there in their midst and they're saying, Jesus, if you would have just not been late, if you would not have been a no-show, we'd be okay. Earlier I asked you, what's that feeling in your heart when somebody doesn't show up when you expect them to show up? Mary and Martha were expecting Jesus to show up. And I can only tell you that, in, I can't imagine, but in their heart they're saying, man, like, where were you? Like, you stayed two other days? Like, word has it that, that when you heard, you decided just to rest a couple days. Like, you stayed a couple days. Like, what's going on? They focused in on what had taken place instead of Jesus, the author and the perfecter of their faith, being there. So let's just get real. How often do we get focused on all that is around us and we miss what God is doing? 
How often do we see the waves and the circumstances of that that we went through yesterday hitting us again today and forget to focus on Jesus? Hebrews chapter 12 says this, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witness surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, for who... For who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Let me tell you something. When those circumstances hit us, when the situations hit us, the only way that we can continue to move forward, when that diagnosis is, is spoken over you, the only way to keep moving forward is if your eyes are focused on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. When the culture rises up in this nation that we're so grateful for, and the culture says, listen, we got to change the gospel. we got to change the word of God. The only way that you stay going forward and trusting in the Lord is by keeping your eyes fixed on the author and the perfecter of our faith. As soon as you take your eyes off of him, you will begin to be swallowed up by the waves of the circumstance. Many of you know the scripture in Matthew chapter 14, starting with verse 28. And we see Peter. He said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come out onto the water. And he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water and he came towards Jesus. He was able to walk towards Jesus because his eyes were on Jesus. But as soon as, but seeing the wind, he became frightened and began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand. He took hold of him and said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind stopped. And last verse, 33, and those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, you certainly, you are certainly God's son. I want you to see two things here. Number one is that when the wind and the waves were coming around him and as he focused on Jesus, he was able to walk. But as soon as he took his eyes off of Jesus, he began to sink. But the beautiful thing in this is that first we have to keep our eyes on Jesus, but when we take our eyes off of Jesus, he doesn't leave us. He's right there. He's right there. And he reaches down to save him. Today, some of us are looking at the circumstances and situations in our lives, and our eyes have gotten on everything around us. It may be your finances. Lord, I don't know how I'm going to make my next payment. God, I don't know how I'm going to take care of the next thing in my life. It may be that your, your, your children or your grandchildren have done something that you're like, Lord, I just don't know how, how to, to walk in this path. I just don't know anymore. God, where are you? And God's saying, keep your eyes on me. Keep your eyes on me. Don't look to the left. Don't look to the right. Keep your eyes on me. Do you know what happens in the midst of your pain and circumstances when you keep your eyes on Jesus? Let me tell you what happens. Peace that surpasses all understanding comes all over you. It comes all over you. And so the first thing I wanted you to see today is the response of Mary and Martha. Number one was that they had expectations based on their circumstances and their understanding. And two is that when Jesus showed up, they were continually focused on what had happened instead of Jesus. But let's look at Jesus' response to what's taken place. In verse, uh, make sure I give you the right one. 
In verse 32, let's start there. It says this. Therefore, when uh, we just read this, but therefore, when Mary came with Jesus, as she saw him, she fell at his feet or and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you have been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus, therefore, saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he was deeply moved in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And verse 35, the shortest verse in the Bible, the one that I promised as a little kid, I would memorize because it was so short. It says, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Many people say, well, Jesus wept because Lazarus had died. And you know, Jesus knew what was about to take place. And Jesus knew that just in a few minutes, Lazarus, come forth. He knew that Lazarus was coming. So, I don't necessarily believe that it was that he was mourning over the death of Lazarus. But I do believe that it was part of the hurt and pain that Martha and Mary were experiencing. Because remember, ultimately death comes from where? Genesis chapter what? 3. And the fall of man. And what has taken place. And the pain and the suffering that to this day we experience through death. Do you realize that we weren't supposed to experience death? You know how I know that? It's because in the garden of Eden, they were to eat of the tree of life forever. They were to live there, but because of sin entered the world, they were removed out of the garden, and now death has come to all people. We're born into sin. That's the reason why Jesus was born of a virgin. Don't let anybody ever argue that. He was born of a virgin, so he was not born into sin as we were. We were born into sin, and the wages of sin is death. And I believe that part of the reason he wept was simply over the fact of what death had done to their life. The pain, the hurt, and the suffering that went through that. And many of you in this room who have experienced loss in their life, you understand that deep hurt and pain of not seeing somebody anymore. But praise God, as I just read, He's the resurrection and the life. He who dies, they still live. Why? Because of Jesus on the cross. But I also believe that the reason Jesus wept and where I really want to focus in today is that Jesus was weeping because of the lack of faith. Because of the lack of faith. You say, David, what do you mean the lack of faith? Well, here we have Martha and Mary both saying to him, if you would have just been on time, he would have been healed. Hey, if you would have just showed up, everything would have been okay. They greeted the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Well, hey, where were you? Where were you? But I also want you to see in verse 37, it says this. Let's go back to just 30, 35, Jesus wept, 36. So the Jews were saying, see how he loved him. In verse 37, but some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man also from dying? Whew. Like they're speaking that about the same God, Jesus, who spoke creation into existence. Like they're saying to the one who said, let there be light, and there was light. The earth that they're walking on was spoken into existence from his mouth. He calmed the seas through his mouth. He did miracles through the breath of the living God through him. Creation has to obey him. And they're saying, well, surely. I mean, this guy, Jesus, he opened the blind man's eyes. He couldn't keep this guy alive. I believe that Jesus 
was weeping because of the lack of faith. How often do we put our faith in the world's processes? How often do we put our faith in the things of this world? I heard a friend once who God has released him from this, praise God. But he said, David, if I, if I, could, have just, if I could just get $50,000 in the bank, I'd be okay. And once this person got 50000 you know what he said? If I just got $100,000 in the bank, I'd be okay. And after 100000 guess what happened? There was a bigger number. And then a bigger number. And in their heart, God has, God has released this person. And praise God, this person has gone all throughout the world on mission, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, letting people know to trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. Not in any world system, not in a bank account, not in a job, not in a house or material things. Because let me tell you something, at the end of time, all those things burn up. All of them. This is what it says in the scripture. So I'll let you choose whether you believe it, but I'll stand with it because whether you believe it or not does not change a word of this. It doesn't change the authority of it. If you tell me, hey, I don't believe in the word, hey, listen, okay, I understand that you're saying that, but it doesn't change the authority of this right here. Every person in the whole entire world could say the Bible is false. And let me tell you something, even then the Bible would be the absolute truth. And so let me ask you, are you trusting in the world systems? Are you trying to find peace by putting your faith in things that are going to be on shifting sand that's here one day and gone tomorrow? How many people in 2007, 2008 thought that they were going to be okay? They had enough money in the bank and then all of a sudden a huge crash hits in 2008. All the things that they had put their hope into was gone. But those who put their hope in Jesus Christ, they stood on the solid rock of Jesus. How often do you hear people say, man, my circumstance is hard because I trusted in the wrong thing. Jesus wept and I believe it was because of the lack of faith that they were trusting in the things of this world they were saying well if God would have just been on time if your faith and security is on things of this world then it's truly on shifting sand but if your faith and security is on Jesus then you've built your house on the rock And the winds and the waves can come. But praise God, it will stand. Hebrews chapter 11 is the faith chapter. And I just want to read to you a few verses out of it. It says this. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It doesn't say now faith is the assurance of the world systems. It's not, you know, uh, make sure that every little, every area of your life is taken. You know, we got to trust the Lord. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the men of old gained approval. By faith we understand that the worlds uh, were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of the things which are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts. And through faith, 
Though he is dead, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not uh, see death, and he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. Look at verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. It doesn't say that, that without faith in the world system, it's impossible to please God. No, it says without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. We have to believe that He is who He says He is. We have to believe that the Word of God says that God will never leave us nor forsake us, even if our bank account hits zero. We have to believe that He'll never leave us nor forsake us, even if we are literally stripped of everything in this world. He is still with us. And ultimately, some of this faith also goes back to what is your priority in life? What's your perspective? What's, what, what, what are you living for? Is your whole fir- focus simply to just put uh, protection and provision around yourself or is your whole focus to bring glory to the name of Jesus? Because if your whole focus is to put protection around you, then you're simply allowing yourself to believe a lie. Because provision and protection comes from Christ and Christ alone. Nothing else. The second thing I want you to see. First, I want you to see that Jesus wept. And we must have faith in Christ, in Christ alone. Listen, we know the end of the story. Lazarus is raised from the dead. It's easy for us in our culture today to sit in these chairs or pews, whatever you want to call them, and to say, well, man, if I was there, Jesus, I know he can raise him from the dead. If I was there, I'd have been like, hey, don't worry. I know that he's all powerful and, and we're about to see something really cool. But if you were there, you wouldn't know what was about to take place. And the question is, is not knowing of what's about to take place, how would you stand in that moment? Would you be like the Jewish people that said, well, I thought he, I mean, he, he gave sight to the blind. Why can't he you know, raise this guy from the dead? What's going on? Or would you truly be that one that's saying, hey, He's got this. He's got this. He holds the whole world in his hands. I think, I think that Lazarus being in a, in a tomb right now is not that big of a deal. Like he, he's got this. Let's watch and see what takes place. The second thing I want you to see is this. Is that Jesus says in verse 25, and I told you you better get excited because I'm like, I can't even read it without getting excited. He says in verse 25, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. Like that statement should literally make us as believers go crazy. Like excitement, like joy beyond joy. Why? Because Jesus is saying, hey, listen, death has a grip on you. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, it says this, and you were dead in your trespasses and sin. He's saying, hey, you were dead, done, over, in a casket, dead. But he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, though you die a physical death, you will never die a spiritual death and you will live forever. 
He's telling them the gospel of salvation and it's through Jesus and Christ alone. No other prophet in this world, no other so-called God in this world ever said that He's the resurrection and the life. It's only Jesus, Christ, and Christ alone. I'm telling you, this should just be, be just overwhelm us with excitement because listen, we once were dead. I've already shared with you Romans 6.23 for the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And then in verse, Ephesians 2 verse 5 now remember Ephesians 2.1 and I share this almost every time I preach because I just it's the gospel. It's the gospel. And he says even when you were dead in your transgressions made us alive together with Christ. Even when you were dead, Jesus is saying, hey, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me because of what I'm about to do in just a couple days, three miles away, on the cross and in the tomb, because of what's about to take place, let me tell you, you will not die if you believe in me. So he proclaims who he is. That I am the resurrection and the life. As I read in, in the baptistry this morning, and, and what a beautiful way to start this message with baptism. Right? Buried with Christ unto death. And raised to walk in newness of life. What we just saw in this baptistry pool, in the pool of baptism, is that we saw literally them proclaiming that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And he said, as we read earlier, let's read again. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Let me go back and read verse 5 again. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. I have to stop there for a second. In the likeness of his resurrection, what does that mean? We serve a resurrected king. Let me say that again. We serve a resurrected king. And so... If we become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our bodies of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is free from sin. Now let me just say something to you. Go, go, go back two verses for me, please. In verse 5. Verse 6, actually. It says, Knowing this, that our old self has been crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Alright, so there's a song out right now, and, it's, and I love it. It says, When he called my name, and then it says, I ran out of the grave, or I ran out of the tomb. The whole song is saying that, listen, like I was, I was shackled, I, was, I, I had no hope, but then he called my name and I came alive. I came running out of the grave. 
Now let me just tell you something. When somebody comes out of the grave, as we're going to see here in just a second, Lazarus had all these bandages all over him. We look like death when we come out of the grave. Think about it for a second. You've got bandages all over you, right? And let me just tell you, let me go back, and I want to read that verse one more time in verse 6. It says, at the very end, it says, so that we would no longer be slave to sin. Too many Christians are alive, walking around with death clothes still on them. It's time for us to remove those bandages that were placed on us in death. Too often we're living like the world and the world system, though we've been made alive. And I believe that if you had a mummy up here, as Brother Fred said, that's a real live mummy, even though that can't be. But if you had somebody dressing all that, man, it's time to, to pull that cord, pull that bandage, and let that come all off of you and quit living and looking like the world. You've been made alive. So take off all that, that death clothes, those, those rags, those things that have been placed on us. Remove that so that people can see that you're no longer dead and now you're alive. And verse 5 just jumped all over me in that. I mean, excuse me, verse 6, where it said that we're no longer to be slaves to sin anymore. We need to stop walking around like we're dead and start walking around like we're alive. And when people say, man, there's something different about you, yes, he's the resurrection and the life. He's raised me from death to life. He's changed my life. The third thing that we see Jesus, we see first that he wept over the lack of faith. Number two, we see that Jesus proclaims that he's the resurrection and the life. And the third thing that we see, which is what everybody remembers of the story, is that Jesus shows his all power over death and the grave. He shows how powerful he is. Some people have shared and said, listen, if, well, if, if Jesus would have said, come forth, that the whole tomb of everybody in there would have come forth. So he called him by name, Lazarus. And I believe that. You know why? Because God's all powerful. And when he speaks to things that are dead and says, come to life, they come to life. And so he says, Lazarus, get up. Let's read it in chapter 11. Verse 38, so Jesus, again being deeply moved, came to the tomb, and now it was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Sounds kind of like what we see in Jesus' story. In verse 39, Jesus said, remove the stone. And, and listen, this verse right here to me goes back to the lack of faith of Martha. She says, uh, the, the sister of the deceased said to him, Lord, by this time there's going to be a stench. For he's been dead for four days. And Jewish tradition was that, that I believe the fourth day was so that people would know that he was dead. Not asleep, dead. Don't want anybody to say, well, Jesus just woke him up. No, he's dead. And she's sitting here saying, well, but, but when we roll with us, the stone, Jesus, it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to stink. I, I heard Ed Newton share about this same passage just just recently, and he said there's a difference between like, like a stink and like there's just stank. Like it's going to be bad. Like it's going to be bad. And he says, well, well, roll away the stone. Like, like I wish in this moment Martha was saying, oh, well, he asked us to roll away the stone. Do you know what that means? Do you know what's about to happen? 
Like, can you imagine? I wish that she would have had the, 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 the vision, the understanding to see that. But she says, hey, Jesus, it's going to stink. He's been in there for four days. Verse 40, Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always heard me. But because of that, because of the people standing around, I say it so that they may believe that you have sent me. And when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Now, I don't know about y'all. I wish I was standing there. It may be my childlike faith, but I would have been like, whoa, like, Jesus just called this dead man out. Like, we're about to see something. Like, we're about to see something. And here's what they see in verse 44. The man who died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. And Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. You know, you sit there and you say, David, the circumstances, Jesus was late. Where's Jesus? Where's God? He loved Mary and Martha enough that they would grow in this situation, in this circumstance. He loved them enough that he waited two days so that they would see a resurrection from the dead. Not just a healing, but a resurrection and that they would see the power of the, of, of, of the name of Christ, that they would see the power of God, the authority that Jesus had as he said to the dead, come forth. And let me just tell you something, Lazarus had no choice but to come forth in that moment. When God speaks, it happens. And Lazarus comes out of the grave and he was raised from the dead. I want you to think about the testimony that God was giving the disciples. Think about this for a moment. Like literally in just a few days, in a little bit of time, Jesus was going to be placed on the cross. And when he was placed on the cross, he was going to give up his life. Nobody took his life from him. He bore what we held on to the sin and and pain and suffering. He put that on the cross and His blood poured out on the cross so that we may have life. He is the resurrection and the life. But then, He goes to the tomb. And I believe that one of the reasons that this took place in John 11 is so that the disciples in that moment could say, you know, I'm a little bit worried. I'm a little bit scared. Like, what's going on? But just a few days ago, just just a little bit of time passed, man, Jesus spoke and the dead came to life. Like, they had something to hold on to. They saw the power of God. Jesus was placed in the tomb. And there's a powerful song that I sing, and I just, I love it. I, I I just love it. I can't, I mean, I'm, we, were, we were shouting it last night in the minivan driving down the road with my kids in the car. They were singing it. My wife was singing it. And I just kept turning it up until Emmy said, it's too loud. 
But it says this, the tomb with soldiers, they watched in vain. It was borrowed for three days. His body there would not remain because our God had robbed the grave. And then the bridge that we're going to sing here in a minute says this, by your spirit, I will rise from the ash, from the ashes of defeat. And then it says this, the resurrected king is resurrecting me. In your name, I come alive to declare your victory. The resurrected king is resurrecting me. And I don't know where you are today. You may be sitting there like Martha and Mary and, 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 and the nation of Israel or the Jewish people that were there. And you may be saying, God, where are you? I just don't know if, if, if you can bring him back to life. I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's going on, God. Where are you today? Surrender back to the king and say, God, you're with me. But may we rejoice today crying out that the resurrected King, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, He is the resurrection and the life. And He's resurrecting people all over the world. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And so let this be a challenge to you that you don't just hold back the resurrection. Listen, I'm going to live in, in, in the wrappings of the dead old and I'm not going to tell anybody that I've been made alive. No, let it be a, a point of action for you to say, man, I've been resurrected by the resurrected King and I'm going to let the world know all about it. Let me just tell you, the grave, the tomb couldn't hold our God. And three days later, he rose victorious. And as that song says, I will proclaim your victory. The reason that we're no longer dead and now we're alive as a believer in Christ is because of the victory that Jesus bought and paid for with his blood on the cross.